This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Anyway, turn your Bibles to 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, and uh, I'm going to use that as an opening introduction to the teaching today. Also, uh, the Bible's college Tuesday night, you know, the life of Christ will go through every verse in the Gospels, and uh, I know there's a fee, but it only hurts for about 24 hours, so... uh, won't be too bad, but I hope some of us, it'd be good to see some new faces, and uh, the first semester was great, and made some neat friends, and, and so um, we'll really exhaust the subject matter on the Gospels, and um, talk about all the differences, the personality to each book, so I hope you can join us. Also, uh, Pastor Tim asked me to pick up Sunday nights, and we're doing it at five o'clock, because I go to bed at eight o'clock, <laughs> and uh, but I'm doing special subjects. You know, I'm finishing up uh, the doctrine of Israel. Uh, but tonight I'm going to, all the events leading up to the second coming of Christ. So if you want to consider that, you know, you know, the real spiritual people go to church twice on Sunday. You know? <laughs> but um, speaking of spiritual, I told the uh, 9 o'clock that they were the spiritual ones. They get up early. But I was just trying to make them feel happy. <laughs> this is really where it's at, you know, to get a chance to think, do our devotion, and go to the second service, you know. But um, anyway, uh, I do want to talk about something today that I feel could be the biggest obstacle within the faith. And um, I just want to introduce us with this passage, but let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, we uh, thank you again for just the opportunity, Father, to sit at your feet. We pray, Father, through your Holy Spirit that you would breathe life into the teaching. Uh, Help me, Father, to communicate effectively and to bring to the the surface all the, the things that you've impressed upon my heart, Father. And so, Father, we entrust this teaching to you And again, we thank you, Father, that you've given us direction in our life to to live this life in the fullest. And uh, we we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Anyway, 2 Peter 1, verse 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this reason, given all diligence, add to our faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. And here's the application of all this. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful 
in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's something going on in this list. It's climbing the ladder of maturity. You know, there are obvious sins in the Bible that most of us can identify with, you know, sexual immorality, drunkenness, cheating, lying, stealing. Eh, those, are, those are not hard to define. If we're doing those things, we know we're in sin. You know? But then there's, there's a sin that seems to get under the radar screen. And it's the most treacherous of all, and it's the most hidden of all. It's called the sin of complacency. You know? A lot of times people split hairs over, oh, can you work in a casino? Can you do this? Can you have a cigar? You know, and, 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 and there's a place to address those issues. But sometimes they're addressed as if that's where sin is really at. But the truth is, the worst sin is the sin of complacency, failing to grow in the Lord. We do live in an environment, America's free, and, and for the most part, we're really not challenged because we're protected by the government. I mean, we get challenged in our personal life, but it almost has an adverse effect upon us in our faith. And so we have to be careful because we can just fall into a place where we have a home attitude towards God and we start going through the moves. And all of a sudden we find satisfaction in just going to church without really mixing it up with God through the Holy Spirit. We have to be careful. But this is the one that I feel is really plaguing the church because the environment in America seems to provide an environment where we get lowed into this, this uh, pattern. And all of a sudden now something gets lost. You know, we don't have those same convictions and we start substituting God's standard of the Bible with our own standard. We start rationalizing everything and it's very treacherous. And the purpose why I'm sharing on this subject matter, because I want my brothers and sisters, I want all of us to walk in the fullness of the Christian faith. I mean, God has set, up, set us apart. You know, Peter just said, he's, you know, we, we've been set apart with his divine nature, which is the Holy Spirit living in us. And we have escaped the corruption of this world. He's given us the grace and the strength. And he wants us to walk in the fullness of this wonderful salvation that God has bestowed upon us. Now, all of us run the risk of getting complacent to a certain degree. All right? uh, it's not as if anybody, any of us can escape this. But I want to really deal with the, the remedy. Before, before that, I want to talk about the nature uh, or the characteristic of this sin, how it can affect us in many different ways. You know, Webster's Dictionary is interesting. It, it, it gave a great definition that I, I can't do better than what Webster was saying, but complacency is self-satisfaction accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers and deficiencies. Hmm, I don't know if I can improve on that. Biblically speaking, going about our Christian life with no concerns, totally unaware of our spiritual deficiencies. That is no man's land for a child of God. But it can happen. You know, if we don't do things God's way and we start just tracking along you know, in, in a way that we're doing it according to our will, uh, those spiritual deficiencies will be hard to see. And so that's what we want to protect against. Now, the dangerous pitfalls of complacency the deception that this sin creates in a true believer. 
Yeah, go with me to Hebrews 3.11. Hebrews 3.11. Or 3.12. Uh, 3.12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. It's not an unbelief as if God doesn't exist. No, that's not a problem. It's an unbelief in which we're not trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We know God exists, you know, but the unbelief is failing to utilize our Lord and Savior, failing to allow the Holy Spirit to govern us in every aspect of our life. And so when we start suppressing, you know, in Romans 1, it's interesting. It says, you know, man has suppressed the truth. Well, you know, Christians can suppress the faith. And what I mean, that they hold it down because they're piling on it humanistic ideas about how to follow God. And they're not allowing the Holy Spirit to raise us up in the newness of life so that we can see the reality of the faith. But anything less than that, we're going to start defining the faith by our own humanistic intellectual ability. And you talk about putting a ceiling on our understanding of God. If we start bypassing the role of the Holy Spirit and opening our eyes to see the reality of truth, we're going to reduce the faith to what we think it is, and we're not going to be able to go forward in the fullness of the faith and really glorify God. And so, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, verse 13, but exalt one another dearly while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. One of the things I'm going to do on Sunday night, I guess this is a little commercial, but I'm going to do special subject matters. I'm finishing up the doctrine of Israel tonight, but I want to do the doctrine of the church. What is the purpose of the church? Why are we all meeting in a local church? And I want to systematically just go through everything. One of the things that really, we're here to encourage each other. We're here to build each other up in the faith. We're here to provoke one another. You know, I hear a lot of good teaching. All right? There's no doubt there's a lot of good teaching in our presence. But I'm not hearing an urgency sometimes. Are we being challenged? Are we being provoked? You know, My Brooklyn style of preaching has provoked a lot of people out the door. <laughs> but my real intention is to provoke us in the fullness of the faith. We all have an obligation to provoke one another, stir each other up in the Greek, stir each other, incite. See, Christ has taken up residency in our hearts. What we're called to do is provoke Christ out of us. You know, get the best. Let's, you know, get the best of Christ in all of us. If we're fellowshipping in love and we're committed, oh, commitment. That's a four-letter word. Ooh, I'll, I'll try to back off a little here. But commitment, you know, walking in the truth, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll keep the bar high, and we'll really minister to one another. We all have an obligation. Our brother is our, keep, you know, our keeper. You know, how's that going? <laughs> if I'm going to quote, again, I make these cardinal mistakes. If I'm going to quote, I better get it right. But we are supposed to come alongside of each other. And, and provoke one another or incite and bless each other. But, verse 13, but exalt one another daily, 
while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. What is the deceitfulness of sin? Okay. It's when we convince ourselves to act contrary to the will of God through the Holy Spirit. And it's very easily accomplished if we're not living by the Holy Spirit. You won't believe the bag of goods that this flesh can sell itself in saying that this is God's will when it has absolutely nothing to do with the will of God. I always kid around, I just come back from Hawaii. All these pastors are getting a call to Hawaii. (laughs) The Lord told me to go to Hawaii, you know. Does anybody get a call to the inner city, you know? Now, sometimes that may be true, but that's who we are. And we need to be surrounded by godly brothers and sisters that will keep us in the the right boundaries. Because, uh, again, we can rationalize, we can sell ourselves a bag of goods, and we can make anything sound good. But the reality is that we have to guard against the, the deceitfulness of the heart. What does Proverbs said? Guard your heart for it is deceitful above all things. Again, again, the emphasis of this teaching is to uh, make sure we don't put on blinders or start fooling ourselves and start interpreting God according to our feelings on matters and not allowing God to interpret truth to us. Trust me, if we're walking a spirit-filled life, the Holy Spirit will open our eyes to the reality and the depths of personal faith. What we have to guard against is suppressing that faith and substituting it with what we think our faith, how it should express itself. Very scary if we cross that line. And so let me just define this dangerous pitfalls of complacency. As far as the nature of the sin, it is subtle and it's hidden. It's unaware of any spiritual deficiencies. Going about your life and not even realizing that the bar has been so reduced, so low, and just going about and just praise the Lord. And, you know, these people go to church every Sunday and, and almost blind themselves from seeing their de- spiritual deficiencies. And, and so in one sense, going to church doesn't really define our faith. I had someone come up to me after a sermon and they said, man, you are one faith-filled Christian. First time I ever met her. Now, I could have been a little sarcastic and said, how do you know that? You don't even know me. You don't even know what I'm doing in the privacy of my life. The point that I'm just trying to make, I hope that there was something in my sermon that identified my faith. But the truth is, my faith is not identified by me practicing my gift. My faith is identified by doing what's right before God in the privacy of my life. That's a big difference. And so a little touch of sarcasm, but the truth is that who are we in the faith? It's who we are in the privacy of our lives, right? And so these are things that I want us to come face to face with and to be able to see the reality of this. Because again, for the most part, most of us are on our best behavior at church, right? right? We're on our best behavior. I mean, if you act like an idiot around church, you're a fool, right? You'd have to be a fool to come to church and act like an idiot, right? But 
human nature, we're going to be on our best behavior, right? But that doesn't define our faith. What really defines our faith, what are we doing with our convictions and the privacy of our lives? What's going on in our lives? Are we looking at things we shouldn't be looking at? You know, I mean, there's a lot of things. We got attitude once we leave. We got attitude with everyone. You know, I mean, these are things that we have to consider before God. And these are things that we have to challenge ourselves and say, ah, you know, that's not the way the faith is supposed to work its way out in our lives. But those are just things that we should consider. You know, I, I define my faith by the way I treat my wife. She's over there now. <laughs> that's a good measuring rod for me. Listen, I can be nice. I can, I'm a people person. It's not that hard for me to mingle with people and have some laughs and, you know, it, it's my personality. I've always been a people person, you know? Then I go home, you know, and there's my wife. Ah, I'm hot, I'm tired, hey, leave me alone. You know, it's like, wait a minute, who am I really? what I do, put on a show for my brothers at church and then I gave my wife the leftovers? You think about that. Who I really am is how I treat my wife when I get home. See, those are things that speak to my heart. I don't want to, you know, I want to impress God. You know, most of us live, sometimes we, you know, we want to impress people. I'm not so much saying that in a bad way, but when I first got saved, I was, man, I just wanted to impress people. I was intimidated by $5 words. I was intimidated by suits, you know, guys that wear suits. <laughs> And it was in the transition, in the transformation of my Christian walk, you know, you start getting to a place where, wait a minute, I want to impress God. I don't need an audience. You know who didn't need an audience? The great men of faith in the Bible. You take Daniel. The guy didn't need an audience. He's worried when they got exiled, you know, chapter one of Daniel. He's worried about dietary laws. You got to love this guy. Daniel. Your countrymen, you've been deported. It's over. You still want to uphold Levitical law? Yeah. Why? Because he was still living under the authority of God. Nothing changed. The country scattered. Nevertheless, the theocracy is still in effect. He had the personal convictions to say, this is wrong before God. That's personal faith. That's who we are. Someone once defined, what is character? It's who we are in the dark. Well, you could say that for faith. What is faith? It's who we, what we're doing in the dark when nobody's around except God. And that's why we want to have those convictions. And so the nature of the sin, it's subtle, it's hidden, it's unaware of any spiritual deficiencies. The second thing, the wrong direction of the sin, it is drifting away from walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, drifting. Drifting is an interesting word to define complacency. Something could be drifting. You really don't know if the background is not showing a movement. I always tell the story. I used to go up to Scroon Lake when I lived in New York. It's upstate New York. And I would get on a rowboat. And I was only 10 years old. And sometimes the anchor wasn't down and the oars were inside the boat, the rowboat. 
And one day I was just laying there and I drifted to the other side of the lake. And all of a sudden I got up and I was just overcome with fear. Where am I? Ten-year-old on the other side of the lake. I didn't know where I was. Very scary. Didn't even know I was moving to the other side of the lake. The point that I'm trying to make, drifting spiritually, and all of a sudden you wake up one day and you realize, man, I, I've lowered the bar. I'm just going through the moves. I didn't realize how far I've moved from a spirit-filled life. I didn't realize how far I moved away from my Lord and Savior Jesus and the practice of righteousness. See, I don't want that to happen to any of us. That's what I'm saying. We've got to provoke one another. You know? People who want to grow, they say, bring it on, provoke me. People who don't want to grow, ah, you're judging my sin. That's the way it, that's the way this cuts. But a Christian who's spirit-filled, thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. Thank you for pointing that out. Because I don't want to drift away and all of a sudden lower the standard and find satisfaction in this lowered standard that really has nothing to do with the standard that God has set up when it comes to the faith. See, God wants us to really mix it up when it comes to the faith. And so the wrong direction of the sin is drifting. The nature of the sin, it's subtle, it's hidden. The unbelief of the sin, the believer removes himself from, faith, from a faith-filled life, failing to trust in God alone. I can't help thinking of this one. I've seen guys that have challenged God's word. A couple of them are pastors from the old past. They're not even going to church. You know what they tell me? God told them not to go to church. Now, you think about the, decept the deceitfulness of the heart, okay? But they'll speak like they're, they're living by faith. And they'll talk about faith and they'll talk about the Bible because they're educated in the Bible. That was their gift. And yet they can't even see how they've deceived themselves. You know, someone telling you, well, God told me not to go to church. Right? That's not God's will. How could that happen to a leader in the church? Well, keep playing fast and loose with God's word. Stop submitting to it and start submitting to your own rules instead of God's rules in the Bible. You won't believe where you'll end up. You'll start removing yourself from a faith-filled life. You know, there's people running around saying, well, I've memorized chapter 11 of Hebrews, the great faith chapter. Good. Are you doing what it says? Are you following in the example of what it's saying? I had one guy who memorized 1 Corinthians 13. Love, the love chapter, good. Are you doing what it's saying? But that's funny. We live in a country where, you know, intellectualism has a way of suppressing the practice of righteousness. It's the weirdest thing. We've got to be careful. And so it's subtle, it's hidden, it's drifting away from the faith. It's removing ourselves from a faith-filled life. And then the dead feelings of the sin. The believer becomes desensitized to God's will. That's a horrible thing when we stop feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit and start becoming desensitized to the holiness of God or desensitized to sin. So you ever hear the thing, well, I tell white lies. You ever hear that? I'm not that bad a person. I tell white lies. Yeah, a little, a little deception there. Think about that. A Christian who's spirit-filled, 
They don't want no part of any deception. Trust me. And I said something, and I know it didn't sound like it was false on the surface, but the whole way I presented it, I really deceived that person. See? Spirit-filled Christian is very sensitive. A mature Christian who's growing is very sensitive to everything. Not to a point where we beat ourselves up, but to a point where we're sensitive to what's right before God. We're not going to let that little white lie or that little deception go by without doing anything about it. Because the Holy Spirit's right there is going to poke us. And say, Come on, what are you doing? There's an element of deception there. Always think about selling a car, right? You're selling a car. How many, how many moves does a car salesman? There's no car salesman here, are there? There was one at the first service. Huh? Car salesmen, they got about 15 moves before they sell a car if they're dishonest, right? It's, it's second nature to them, right? They're desensitized. The Christian, you know, man, uh, we, we, we keep, again, the bar high. We're very sensitive to that. You know? How do we become desensitized? Well, stop doing things God's way. You know, start listening to TV, the media, right? Start pursuing all that stuff and not being disciplined in the faith where we're listening to God or disciplining ourselves with the Word of God. If we're undisciplined and we're off balance as far as our Christian walk, it's not that hard to be desensitized to God. But the, the purpose or the object, you know, what we need to do is really cultivate this relationship with God, cultivate our hope with Christ. We'll never be desensitized. You know, it's interesting, in Nazi Germany, they, they asked the, um, the generals, you know, Nazi generals who served with Hitler, you know, who were brought before the court for war crimes. They said, what were you guys thinking? You killed 6 million Jews, you killed 11 million altogether. What, what were you guys thinking, putting people in ovens? One guy said, we just became desensitized. We just kept listening to this, and all of a sudden it sounded real. And that's why we got to protect ourselves so that we always see the reality, what is really real when it comes to the faith. And so the unbelief uh, or the, the dead feelings of the sin, the believer is desensitized. The faulty reasoning of the sin, the believer rationalizes everything to fit his fleshly desires, all right? That's what this flesh does. It rationalizes everything. God tells us to go over here. The flesh rationalizes, no, this is where God wants me. <laughs> and it's like, no, this is where God wants us. But when we become complacent, all of a sudden now we start rationalizing every decision we make, even if it is not lined up with God's will. Very treacherous very dangerous. And so the faulty reasoning of the sin, the believer rationalizes. The non-conviction of the sin, the believer ignores and disarms the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that is necessary for change. How does God change us? Right? How does God change us? Right? Through conviction. We do something, the Holy Spirit pokes us and says, uh-uh-uh. Right? Now, Someone who loves God will be very sensitive to that poking of the Holy Spirit. Say, yes, Lord, I'm a little off balance, okay? 
Someone who's complacent will just set a pattern for their lives and keep ignoring it. Just keep ignoring it. When we first get convicted by the Holy Spirit, the alarm is really loud. Oh, I did something wrong. We should be thanking God for convicting us because that's the way we change. Someone who's complacent, eh, the conviction's loud the first week. By the second week, eh, it's not that loud. By the third week, a little dull sound. By a month, eh, must have been a pepperoni pizza that got me all upset, you know? But that's a pattern that goes on. So here comes the conviction again of the Holy Spirit, the same issue. Just keep ignoring it. Just keep ignoring it to the point where you suppress the sound and you're comfortable in your disobedience to God. Hmm. And so the, the, the believer in this non-conviction of the sin ignores and disarms the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. As far as the lower standard of the sin, the believer substitutes his standard for Christian living in place of the standard that God has set up by the Holy Spirit. Okay? We want to live by God's standard. We live by our standard. We're going to put a ceiling on our spiritual growth. It's impossible to grow if we're going to live by our standard. We're going to reach a ceiling. Okay? What we're doing here at the church, what I'm trying to do as a, as a pastor, is push that ceiling up <laughs> and get us face to face with the divine reality and the divine standard of God. And it's amazing when we are tuned in with the Holy Spirit, the reality and what the Holy Spirit will do for us in opening our hearts to see the real depths of the faith and the reality of things. And then the deception of the sin the believer is unaware of his sin. He becomes satisfied with his half-hearted approach to God, failing to capture the true fulfillment one has by faith in Jesus Christ. We don't want that to happen. What's the result of this treacherous sin? Failing to go on to maturity in the Christian life, finding satisfaction in our Christian lives without any desire to grow, Failing to let God stretch us to the limit in order to be an effective witness. See, we're, we've been set apart for a purpose. That purpose is to testify to Jesus Christ. Today we're doing communion. You look at that area of scripture in 1 Corinthians 11. It says every time we take communion, what are we doing? We're proclaiming the death of Christ. We're proclaiming the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. That's the sacred commandment, you know, when it's singular. We are testifying. Every ounce of our being, God has set us apart to testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. That's our purpose in life. You know, if you ask 100 people, why did God save us? 99 might say to go to church on Sunday. It's a little deeper than that, why God saved us. Okay, it's a little deeper than that. We are his ambassadors, 2 Corinthians 5. God is making his appeal to a lost world. And trust me, this world is really lost and it's getting worse. You know, it's getting worse. But God has entrusted his message to us. And he's, he's completed this one that we are complete in Christ. We have all the tools necessary. What we need to do is mature in 
in this complete salvation that God has bestowed upon us at the point of conversion. So we have to testify to the truth. You imagine just going through the moves, going to church, and, and really having no effective witness for God. That's a sad commentary for a Christian. We are called to come together, stand together, and to testify to the truth. And to testify of Jesus Christ. We got to get rid of any excess baggage of unbelief. Sin of complacency, that's excess baggage. We got to get rid of that. But trust me, if we don't get rid of it, we're going to be useless. We're going to just be talking about God. We're going to be quoting scripture. We're going to be going to church. And yet we're not dealing with what God wants to deal with in our lives. Let me tell you something about some of the lessons I've learned as a young Christian. I was going, this is before I was married, I was dating a non-believer. Right? God said, no, it's off limits. Didn't speak to me directly. I had three mentors that were speaking to me directly. God knew that this one needed a little help, so he gave me three mentors. You know, I went to church twice a week, went to Bible study twice a week, and I couldn't erase the conviction of that situation. Tried to erase it, tried to, you know, I knew it was wrong. I'm trying to convince myself it's okay. I can't. And so what do I do? Oh, I'll be real holy. I'll go to spend my life, you know, four times a week in church. And God kept telling me in a personal way, take care of that situation. You need to trust in me with all your heart. All that church going does absolutely nothing for you unless you're obedient to what you need to be doing. See, those, that's the place that really defines our faith. Those are those moments. And through God's grace, I was able to break the relationship off. Believe me, it was God's grace. I was consumed in it emotionally, so it was very difficult. But you talk about rationalizing, justifying, and doing everything in my fleshly power to make it feel right when it was wrong. And that was a lesson that I learned that I keep encouraging my brothers and sisters. Don't put any stumbling blocks in your faith, okay? If there's anything in there that's slowing you up, unbelief or doing something contrary, get rid of it, please. Trust God. Let God, let go and let God. Don't allow anything to get in the way of your relationship with God. And it was a lifelong lesson that God taught me. Do things his way. That's how faith expresses itself. And that's why I was saying earlier, going to church might not express our faith because there's something going on in our lives that we're not dealing with. And we're just going about and, you know, just suppressing it and covering it up with what we want to do to make something right. It's like, no, don't do that. God wants us to experience everything he has, but it's going to take full obedience to the truth. And so, if we become complacent, we need to reactivate our faith. <laughs> you ever see credit cards? My wife takes care of all that stuff, but she says, oh, we've got to call this in to activate our credit card, right? Yeah. Some of us have to activate our faith again. We have to reactivate it. 
We've been lowed into a certain pattern. We're going through the moves. And again, this country, I, I mean, I love our country, but I'm telling you, the environment of this country, it almost caters to it. We all got our radios for Christian stations, right? That's good. And it's like, that's not faith. Faith is what we're doing, what we're hearing on the radio. And I'm just saying, there's, there's a fine line. If we're on the wrong side of this fine line, we're going to get in trouble. We've got to make sure that everything we're hearing, we're applying to ourselves. Yeah. In the old days, you know, you hear a good message. Oh, I've got to get this tape for so-and-so. Right? Does anybody get a tape for themselves? You know? <laughs> huh? Is it, I, I gotta get that tape. I gotta hear this message four times. I never hear that. Oh, so and so. Oh, this is a great message for them. Oh, it wasn't for us? Now, sometimes you do hear something that unique, and I, I get it. But the truth is, get a sermon for yourself. Oh, I gotta hear that again. <laughs> We're funny creatures, aren't we? We're kind of funny, but, and so what's the remedy? You know, how do we, you know, how do we protect ourselves from this nasty, treacherous sin? And how do we reactivate our faith if we've just been lowed into a certain pattern and we're really not moving forward, we're just going through the moves? How, how do we... How do we get ourselves to protect against this? Well, I come up with about seven issues. We need to maintain a spiritual fervor from beginning to end. Most of us are on fire when we get saved, right? That's why we're on fire. Why we get saved? We're on fire for God. What happens? Don't let that flame go out, right? Start strong, finish strong. We have an obligation to stay on fire with God. You know what I tell the church sometimes? If you're complacent, then confess the sin and move on. If you're moving on and you want to get on fire, then get on fire. And if you're on fire, then get more on fire. <laughs> that's how this works. That's what I see in the scriptures. Again, that's the thrust. That's why I opened up with 1 Peter, to drive us into the fullness of the faith. He, he's, he's building this spiritual ladder we're growing, the final product is the love of Christ through all this. This is what makes us productive. Anything less than that makes us unproductive. We don't want that to happen. And so go to Luke 9.57, Luke 9.57. Luke 9.57 says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Ooh, so far, so good. <laughs> right? Sounds good. But Jesus needs to give him a heads up. You want to follow me? Okay, here's the cost. Verse 58, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What he's saying is, you want to be a disciple of mine? There might be a time in your life where those foxes and those birds will have more to call their own than a disciple of Jesus Christ. You may lose everything following me. Again, the cost of discipleship, Jesus addressed that. You know, a builder builds a house. You know, he makes sure he's, he's got enough money to fill it, finish the job. 
But again, as a disciple of Christ, do we understand what's going on? And trust me, the Holy Spirit prepares our hearts that this is an all or nothing proposition by God. We're, when we receive salvation, we, when we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, it is because we have come to a place where we realize it's a full surrender to Jesus Christ. God is not giving his Holy Spirit to anyone who hasn't surrendered to Christ. You know, forgive me, but you can raise your hand every Sunday at an altar call. But if your heart's not surrendered to Christ, he's not giving you his Holy Spirit. That's why some of you sometimes are caught in the mud. It's like, why can't I go forward? Well, maybe you need to re-examine your heart. Have you been prepared by the Holy Spirit to realize that you, you should come to a place of brokenness when it comes to truth? And we're broken to a point where we say, okay, God, I'm crying uncle, spiritual uncle. I'm done. I get it. I get it. This is all or nothing. Listen, I'm talking from personal experience because when I first heard the gospel and believed it, I ran from God for nine years. People are throwing me on stages, laying hands on me, and I know in my heart of hearts that I'm not ready for this. And they're telling me, you're in. And it's like, I'm not in. I still love my sin more than I love Jesus Christ. I know it. And then one day I got saved, born again with the Holy Spirit. Knew it. And then I was proud to raise my hand. Not that I needed to. It's like it was just it was anticlimactic. I was saved. So I raised my hand because I thought it was the right thing to do after I got saved. It was cool. I was okay with that in a certain, you know. But the truth is that it's the heart. The Holy Spirit breaks, brings us to a place where we're broken, opens up our eyes and realizes it. I used to work at Spring Valley, Calvary Chapel, before it was Las Vegas, and you know, guys would raise their hands, and it's like, hey, can we get you started? Here's a little Bible. And it's, hey, I'm busy. i got to go to work. I won't be back in three weeks. You think that guy's saved? That's an insult to the Holy Spirit. Come on. But if he was saved, he said, what do I do? That was the first question I asked. Okay, what do I do? I got saved at a Bible study. What do I do next? What's the plan? Right? That's salvation. And I'm not using myself as a mandate or a model. That's just the Holy Spirit when he comes in our hearts. The reason I emphasize that, there's a lot of easy believism going on in America. Easy believism. You know, when you deceive someone into thinking they have salvation and they don't, that's like sheep led to slaughter. You know, I get people running around in churches thinking they got saved at VVS because they raised their hand, you know, when they were six years old. And, and they've been sleeping around their whole lives. And it's like, what are you doing? Hasn't anybody told you what salvation really is? And that's why we got to be careful. We can't dilute or water down the gospel message. We got to make sure we're preaching repentance. Because that word is becoming foreign to many people, even in the church. We don't repent. We're not going anywhere. We're not going to receive the Holy Spirit. Now we've got to explain to people what is repentance. But I'm okay with altar calls, but I tell you what, I hate to believe that, I hate to deceive someone thinking that if they raise their hand, they're saved. I'm a little concerned about that. Listen, if they're active in the church, we'll know where people's hearts are. A Christian knows when someone is right for salvation. Just pray for them. You could see, I, I tell you, I'm 
I'm, I'm overcome with conviction. I, I, I got to get right with Christ. Pray for them. Just grab them and ask God to bring the Holy Spirit. And I'm just saying, uh, you know, don't tell Pastor Tim this, but, you know, I mean, I'm just saying that there is an element here that we're losing the substance of what we're really doing. And just be careful with that. And make sure if you know someone raised a hand, make sure you could see the fruit of their lives. But fill in the blanks for them if they think they're saved because they raised their hand with no change in their lives. And so verse 59, then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Again, let me live with my family until my father dies. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. If you're going to put anything in the way of Jesus Christ, including our own family, this isn't going to work. If we put anything in the place of our purpose and obligation to God, it's not going to work. You want to choke off this wonderful life that God has given us? Just put some little obstacle in the way. Get rid of it all. Our lives are Christ. Everything we do evolves around Jesus Christ. And that puts us, we put Christ before anything, anything in life. Believe me, it'll work out if that's our direction. And so Jesus said to him, let the, verse 61, and another one said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Amen? That hasn't changed. And so we need to maintain a spiritual fervor from beginning to end. Hey, one way to do it is healthy fellowship. Let me tell you something. You hang around with godly people, you're going to grow in the godliness of God. That's how, this, that's how easy this is. You surround yourself with flaky Christians, a bunch of hypocrites, that's what you're going to become. So go to a good Bible teaching church like here, right? Get into some good fellowship. Be committed. You know, there's people running around here, and I say this all due respect. Nobody knows your name. You're a mystery. You're the mystery man. Do you think that's fellowship? When you're committed to a local church, everybody knows your name. Everybody knows who you are. And I'm saying we got to get out of this crazy, this crazy pattern of doing our thing on Sunday and becoming the mystery man Monday through Saturday. And I'm saying, be committed. If we're going to be committed to a local church, be committed. And do the things that God has called us to do and encourage each other. You know, we're all obligated. We are our brother's keeper. We're all supposed to be gifts of encouragement to one another. The pastor's only trying to flame the fire. But this is not where it's at. You know, again, there's a, there's a crazy phenomenon going on in America. Who's the best teacher? Oh, that was some sermon. Ooh, okay, okay, it was a nice sermon. That's not where it's at. It's only a sermon on Sunday. Where is it at? When we leave this place, instead of cursing the guy that cut us off, you know, we, we put into practice in the parking lot. I thought that was funny. <laughs> We put into practice what we, that's where it's at. 
But everybody's into who's the best teacher, sermons, this and that. Okay, there's a place. I like to be encouraged. I like to know you got ministered to. But that's not where it's at. Where it's at, what are we doing with the sermon? I like when someone comes to me the next week after a sermon, they say, Tommy, I'm telling you, that, that sermon's been ringing in my ear. Everything I'm doing, amen. The Holy Spirit's doing his job. You know? But that's a spirit-filled Christian. You know? But that's where it's at. What are we doing in the privacy of our lives? You know? Are we giving ourselves a pass? We're just pretending that, hey, this is the way we define faith. And it's like, no. And so we need to maintain a spiritual fervor, encourage and command. You know, it was encouraged by Peter, the, the opening verse. We got to build so that we won't be unproductive. And then I love Philippians 3. We won't turn there, but revealed in the personality of Apostle Paul. Paul is giving his resume. You, you Judaizers, you want to brag about being good Jews. Oh, yeah? I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, never abandoned the mother call. I was friends, a disciple of Gamaliel. Oh, yeah, you guys, I'm from the tribe of, I think, Benjamin. And it's like, you guys want to boast? Well, I can boast more, but that's not where I'm going to boast. I'm going to boast in the Lord. And you can hear the intensity of chapter 3. It's climbing the ladder, the intensity. Finally, in chapter 3, verse 10, the NIV, he says, I want to know Christ. Now, if that's the attitude of our hearts every day we wake up, I want to know Christ, we're going to be okay. I sometimes see young brothers and sisters, they're too hard on themselves. They want to be perfect before God. It's like, take it easy on yourself. You know why I can say that to someone? Not everyone. Because people who are in sin, they better stop taking it easy on themselves. But I will tell someone to take it easy on themselves when I know that they love Jesus Christ more than they love their own lives. Take it easy. You're going to be fine. Because the Holy Spirit's going to keep training you and showing you the ways, the reality of the faith. You'll be fine. Some of you, you know, that I've known, I'm not worried. But then there's those that, you know, I don't know what to say. You know, I'd be flattering them if I said, you'll be all right. I'd rather say, you know, you, you need to make some changes. You need to realize where the, where the pitfall fall is here. You know? Anyway, let me just go through this real fast. Again, we need to live a spirit-filled life, okay? What that means is we're controlled by the Holy Spirit. Nothing fancy. Holy Spirit just controls us by convicting us, directing us, and we're not fighting with God through the Holy Spirit. We're just, okay, God. Wouldn't it be so easy to go through life, the Holy Spirit convicts us, say, okay, God, Okay, right? And, and let the Holy Spirit change us, right? So that'll protect against complacency. We need to be disciplined. We need to discipline ourselves in the faith. Let me read just a couple more. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9. This is a good one. 1 Corinthians 9. First Corinthians 9.24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. You know, he's talking about the athletes. Everybody, there's only one prize. You want to win the gold? You're going to have to discipline yourself. 
And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, ah, but we an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I like verse 27, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself shall become disqualified. Practice what you preach. Listen, this flesh wants its rights. That's why we got to discipline this body. It wants its rights. We play an active role in fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit and, and discipline. The Holy Spirit's guiding us, leading us, but we play an active role. We've got to make sure that we're not putting ourselves in compromising positions or doing things contrary to the will of God or, or not really elevating our walk. You know, it's going to be very hard to discipline our, our bodies, but we have to make sure we're disciplining ourselves and work, walking you know, in fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit. Again, in this context, this is a climatic statement Paul made. He talked about this principle. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Freedom in Christ. I could do this. Freedom in Christ. But he governed his freedom by what glorified God. See, I can do this. I mean, who's to say I can't? You know, I, you know, some of the things that we do, but make sure that we're, we're considering our freedom. He considered his freedom in the sense that he was going to submit himself to the conscience of every man. Why? For one purpose, to gain a hearing for the gospel. That's unbelievable. Everything he did, you know, if you read that chapter, he disciplined himself, he submitted himself without compromising the truth, you know, as far as his practice. He did it for one reason. Chapter 9, 1 Corinthians. To gain a hearing for the gospel message. See, we're God's ambassadors. He's making his appeal through us. We're his ambassadors. He's not appealing through the ungodly Hollywood stars. He's not appealing to man through the ungodly rich people. He's not appealing th through TV, the ungodliness of TV. He's appealing through his children. Now, that's why we've got to get rid of this excess baggage of unbelief and complacency. We don't need it. Got to get totally rid of it so that we can go forward and really be those effective witnesses. Let me just read a couple more. I want to wrap this up. We've got to take communion. But we need to develop firm and godly convictions. Again, a genuine loyalty and love for Christ and his teaching. And faith is walking in those godly convictions. We need to develop God's value system for the true riches of life. You know, First Timothy, because of time, we won't turn there. But, you know, fight the good fight. And what are the things that God wants us to do? Godliness, faithfulness, love. These, this is God's value system. These are the things that we pursue. Prior to that passage, it talks about money. Money's the root or matter or material things are the root of all kinds of trouble. What the Christian lines up with God's value system. And so we start living according to his value system, not man's value system. We need to challenge ourselves. Better way to say this 
in the negative, we need to come out of our comfort zone. This flesh is going to find its comfort zone. Then you start rationalizing what you're doing. See how this works? Then you start deceiving yourself that this is God's will. I've had people, and you know, again, all due respect, they come, God told me this. The guy hasn't been following God for five years. God hasn't spoke to you in five years. Knock it off. You think God's going to honor that kind of lifestyle where you have a total disregard for God? But you hear that a lot. God told me this. You know? And they're not even walking in the truth. But when someone is faith-filled, I like to listen to them. What's God telling you, brother? What's God telling you, sister? But again, you hear all these cliches around church, and you know, it gets me a little concerned when, again, I'm not being judgmental, but you know, people are flakes, and they, they go around saying stuff like that. That's brutal. At least it is to me. And so we gotta get, we got to come out of our comfort zone because the flesh is going to go right to its comfort zone. And so in America, there's really nothing to challenge our Christian faith for the most part. So we need to challenge ourselves within our church. Let me end with two more scriptures, okay? Yeah. Go to Hebrews 10.23. Sorry I'm running a little late here, but... <clears throat> Uh, Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. But verse 24 is the one that's got my attention. And let us consider one another in order to stir up one another in love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is in the manner of some, but exalting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Provoking, the King James says, provoking each other. I like that. You know, I was talking about that earlier. Provoke Christ out of us. Christ is in us. He's the hope of glory. Let's provoke the best of Christ in all of us, and we'll see the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's what fellowship's all about. That's what this local church is all about. This is God's household. This is the pillar of truth. This is where leaders are supposed to preach the truth, uphold the truth, and show people how to walk in the truth. Anything less than that, we might as well put a padlock on the front door and close up and watch Sunday football. You know, for those that like football and whatever else you're into on Sunday, golf. Okay? That's what we should be doing. But that's not what we're called to. And so... We need to be in healthy fellowship and um, we make sure we're not forsaking the assembly of God's people. But let me end with this, 2 Corinthians. Second uh, Corinthians 11. This is a humbling area of scripture. Eleven twenty-two. Paul is giving his resume, but he's he doesn't want to do it, but he wants to fight off these Judaizers. You know, these are 
you know, Jews who have rejected the testimony of Christ. And he's basically saying, if you got something to brag about, I got more. But he gives this wonderful resume what the faith has cost him. This is not a man that's complacent. This man is driven by the Spirit of Christ in everything he does. And so in verse uh, 22, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. Okay, these Judaizers were saying they accepted Christ, but they were going back to the law. I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prison more frequently, in debts often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Five times he was whipped, 39 times. Wow. Three times I was beaten with the rods. Once I was stoned. This is all for the name of Christ. This is all for the glory of God. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. We got the recording of one in Acts. A night and a day I have been in, in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers. You know, people, bandits robbing you on the road. In perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the city, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fasting often, in cold and nakedness. Beside the other things, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. You gotta love this guy. That's a man who was driven by the spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, all of us don't have the same calling or the same you know, direction as far as what God has placed, but somewhere we have to make sure that you know, we're, we're doing the things that God's called us to do. Don't get caught up in civilian affairs. Amen? And so we're going to do communion. And uh, I'll close. I'll, I'll pray, and then we'll take communion together. Maybe some of you are new here, but put the communion elements on the tables. Just come forward and you know, maybe follow someone if you're new. And... Uh, and uh, just help yourself hold it, and we'll take communion together. Pray. Father, we uh, again thank you for the, your Holy Spirit, Father. You've equipped us in such a wonderful way. And Father, thank you for just plucking us out of this, this uh, corrupt world, Father, in which we were at one time subject to the power of sin. And thank you so much, Father, that you provided such a wonderful salvation that we now, Father, can serve you in, in, in such a manner where we can say no to ungodliness and continue to grow in the holiness of Jesus Christ. Father, I lift up our church. I pray, Father, that the purpose you put this church on the map would truly be fulfilled in every aspect of the Christian message, of the gospel. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Father. Father, none of us are above this subject matter. We've all been complacent to a certain degree. And I pray, Father, through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, through the fellowship of our brothers and sisters, 
that we would just continue to stir one another up, incite truth, Father. Allow us, Father, to be so provoked in such a way that together, Father, in our faith, we would glorify you as one man, that man, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I, I pray for your protected hedge. I pray, Father, that you would hear the desires of our heart because I know, Father, that many of us here today are just crying out and it's like, yeah, I got to go a little deeper with the faith. And I pray, Father, that you would grant us all that desire as we glorify you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.